0: It's time for another episode of Espresso Yourself with Chuck. And now, coming to the mic, your host, Chuck.
1: Hey, I'm excited to be with the Director of Broadcasting for the University of Kansas Athletic Department, better known as the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, thank you for joining us.
0: Doug, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be on with you. Excited to talk to you today.
1: Well, and and you have been very generous with your time in the past. We had some students at our Leadership Development Conference a few years ago. We held that on the campus of the, the University of Kansas. You met with them, some of our student leaders at Allen Fieldhouse, told them a little bit about the historic building and about KU basketball and and so certainly that's not something you had to do but you did and and we appreciate you doing that and joining us today on Espresso Yourself with Chuck.
0: Well honored to be on with you It was great to meet the students that day and you know I was blessed when I was at that age to get a chance to tap into the knowledge and expertise of some pretty big time local announcers like Mitch Holtis of the Chiefs and Ryan LaFever of the Royals and Ryan actually invited me out to his house when I was 18 years old to listen to demo tapes for like two hours in his in his man cave. We were listening to all my stuff and he was giving me play-by-play critiques. And I'm thinking, this guy is the voice of one of the major league teams. Like, why is he investing in me just you know, two full hours? And, and I asked him that question straight up. And he said, well, you know, when I was your age, there was an announcer that did the same for me, but he said, you have to promise to pay it forward to the next guy. I'll do this for you but you got to pay it forward to the next generation. And so that's why he was investing in me. And all these years later, we've become great friends. And I try to live by that same uh, you know, credo that you always pay it forward to the next person. So definitely excited to be on with you. And I hope uh, whatever we talk about today inspires and encourages you know, that next generation of, of fan that wants to become an announcer, or pursue a career in media, or just pursue a career in life where you can use your platform to bless other people and try to make a difference in the community you live in. That might be what most people connect with today, uh, because I'm guessing not every single one of your viewers and listeners wants to be a play-by-play announcer, but we'll have some fun, whatever you ask. That sounds awesome. And and I do want to talk a, a little bit more about not
1: only doing this, but a lot of the other ways you connect with the community and pay it forward in, in other ways. So, but I want to start. and mentioned 18 years old, you had that great experience. Um, but let's go back a little bit, a little bit further in your life. Um, you're a Topeka West graduate. Tell us a little bit about growing up when you decided I wanna be a broadcaster. And some of the steps you took to try to get on that path.
0: Well, it's funny. We're, we're doing this interview in the summertime. And just two nights ago, I had a chance to go back to my boyhood home in Topeka. The, uh, the current owner of the house is a Jayhawk fan. And he found out that I used to live there when I was a kid. He invited my mom and I out. And uh, we got to go into the den area. Where, as I told him, I used to have an eight-bit Nintendo entertainment system plugged in there. And I would put RBI baseball on computer mode and turn the sound down on the TV and practice my play-by-play calls at the age of 14 as the computer mode played itself. I was I was doing the play by play and I sat there in a crouched position for hours on end practicing play by play. And it was it was neat to and kind of surreal, honestly, to go back to where, you know, 25. Thirty years ago, I was I was practicing my play by play, but uh, you know that gave me a little bit of a foundational skill set where I at least you know knew the terminology and the pacing and that kind of thing. But I didn't really get my my first uh, feet wet opportunity until I was a, a sophomore and junior in high school at Topeka West, and we had a really excellent instructor for our TV productions class by the name of Corey Wilson, and they had done all kinds of great TV productions projects. In filming and editing and all that, but never before had they done sports play by play, but like any good educator and I'm sure you're the same way Chuck you know when you have a student that has a a unique ambition, and and maybe a little bit of talent where you see there's some promise there, he tailor made a program to take those skills that I had. uh, tried to hone on the Nintendo system and give me a chance to call real games. And, and he rigged the system to be able to do sports play-by-play for the first time ever, not initially live, rather uh, we, we would tape delay these games. And he put all his gear on a, a cafeteria cart, literally the same cart they serve the hot dogs on. And he pushed push it up the hill from his uh, his annex uh, offices down there on, on one side of the campus and, and pushed it all the way up to the gymnasium and We would broadcast the games uh, in tape delayed fashion after recording them live. And he gave this young 16 year old a chance to do real hands on experience to the point where KMAJ, who was the the leader in, in local high school play by play, saw my stuff, heard about me. Mike Manns, Bill Griffin, two great guys in that community, reached out and let me start doing high school games with them my senior year. And so by the time I got to KU, I'd probably done close to 100 games and and had a head start on everybody else that was an incoming freshman that was leaps and bounds experience-wise ahead of them maybe i wasn't as talented as some of the peak students at the time but i'd at least had the um you know the opportunity to to kind of gain a stage presence and another thing that helped with that that i encouraged broadcast students all the time i did debate and forensics in my high school years and that taught me Persuasive speaking, it taught me, you know, the ability to command a room, uh, the debate aspect, you know, going back in, in a way that helps you win the argument, but uh, you can make a point emphatically. All of these things, you know, I didn't realize at the time were going to put me on a path to be the voice of the Jayhawks one day, but in hindsight, they really did help shape and, and cultivate the skill set that gave me the fast track opportunity that, that came from there. So super blessed to have educators in my life um, and mentors that saw some promise in me. I think more than anything they saw hustle and ambition and gratitude. Everything I tried to do at that age, I was grateful for the chances I got and I approached it you know, with, hey, this is a special opportunity, you better make the most of it. I think the one disappointing thing I see in some broadcast students today, not the majority, But but I think that uh, some generations since have a little bit of a sense of entitlement and they kind of expect things to come easy and for it to be handed to them and for them to just step in on day one and start calling games on air right away. And I say that to you as a straight shooting example, because the type of aspiring broadcast student that I tried to be. And the ones that I'm drawn to now that I will invest the most time in and give opportunities to and and try to put on the same fast track that I got are the ones that come in humble and hungry and appreciative and and grateful for anything they get. They say yes to any opportunity out there. Those are the ones that are going to make it because in a generation and an era where a lot of kids, there's way more opportunities now, put it that way. Uh, And so they kind of expect it to, in some cases, be served up to them. The ones that grind and hustle and get after it, those are the ones that are gonna you know, rise to the top pretty quickly. And those are the ones specifically at Kansas and our broadcast opportunities that, that I try to, to give the most chances to. So uh, that's a little bit about my background as a high school and, and young college freshman. And, you know, Once I got to Kansas, had a chance to study under Tom Hedrick, who literally authored the book, The Art of Sports Casting, former voice of the Jayhawks, Nebraska Cornhuskers, Cincinnati Reds, Kansas City Chiefs. He had a star-studded career uh, still a dear friend to this day. We go to lunch about every other week, uh, and uh, he's been a lifelong friend ever since coming here to the University of Kansas. So, uh, really blessed by that connection too. And as a person of faith, you know, I, I look back on all these these great connections that I made early in my career, and connections that I continue to make. And you know, none of this was by chance. It was it was all blessing, and and there were certain people put in my path for very specific reasons, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And again, much like Ryan LeFever, try to pay that forward to the next generation because without those folks that came along at the right time and and gave me opportunity I certainly wouldn't be talking to you today
1: well it's interesting I actually had one class with Tom Hedrick when I was at KU which you weren't even born yet when I was at KU but uh he's a legend uh certainly when when you got I assume you grew up a KU fan is that accurate
0: it is yeah I uh I was lucky enough to get to go to every KU football home game with my dad and probably about half of the KU men's basketball home games. Living in Topeka, some of the the later start times on school nights we didn't go to, but we went to all the weekend home games. And that was always a big deal, getting to drive over to Lawrence and and cheer on the Jayhawks with my dad. And that really ingrained in me a, a passion for the university, an appreciation for the sports history there. And then obviously when it came time to pick a school, uh, once I heard that they had a pretty good journalism school, that that was all the the sales pitch I needed. I mean, there were other schools that, that maybe on a national basis had a reputation for turning out announcers like Syracuse and Northwestern and places like that. But my passion and my heart was was right here at KU. And once I heard that, yeah, they've got some good professors and, and you'll enjoy working with the broadcast programs, I, I knew there was there was no other option for me. I had to choose KU.
1: So you had already done a lot of broadcasting, a lot of games. When you got to KU as a freshman, what was your focus then to get, well, what was your goal upon graduation? Did you have a job in mind? I mean, I'm sure you would have loved to have been the voice of the Jayhawks upon graduation, but maybe that wasn't realistic at that point. What what were you kind of seeing your plan at that point coming onto the campus and
0: Well, you know, I think while I was a student there, the hope was to one day be the voice of something, whether that was a professional team or a major conference D1 school. I wanted to be the voice of something because to me, while it's neat to see these guys that get to do various national broadcasts, you don't have the same access to the players and coaches. You're not a part of the the tight huddle that is the, the travel party that goes everywhere you don't get the bling the, the rings when you win it all if you're just the you know the neutral national announcer that that comes in for four or five games a year I wanted to be involved in the trenches with the day-to-day. I wanted to be connected to the student athletes or the professional athletes where there's a personal relationship there. And you really get to tell their stories because you're around them and you've established that trust. And and you've established the, the knowledge base of some of the insider info that comes with being a part of the team. And so I knew I wanted to be the official voice of something. I don't think you initially set out to be the voice of a specific School because there's a lot of factors that go into that that are well beyond your control. Had I been born 10 years later or 10 years earlier, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today as the voice of the Jayhawks. You know, it really is a timing thing. You know, at the time that Bob Davis was hanging him up after 32 great years as the voice of the Jayhawks, you know, I had had the opportunity at that point to spend four years at another major conference school at Texas Tech. And I was you know, coming into my own as an announcer. I was in my mid-30s, and that's usually where Learfield tries to target guys that, that are in their, their mid-30s, not still in their 20s. They want somebody who's seasoned but still has 30 years in front of them. And so the timing was perfect. Uh, the connections and, and the amount of time I spent 10 years, in fact, as the sports director on the flagship station in Lawrence that afforded me so many opportunities to get to know the, the historic stars of Kansas athletics and establish relationship and rapport with these guys that would help me as the ideal storyteller, not just of the present and future Jayhawk teams, but a curator and you know uh, a preserver of our illustrious history as well. H- had I not been as you know, ingrained in the, the fabric and culture of Kansas athletics for those 10 years... I wouldn't have the foundational base to be the storyteller that I am today or hope to be, anyways. And so there were a lot of factors that just timing-wise, where the stage I was at in my life and my career, the time I'd already spent. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and and they're like, How do you know that about the 1972 team and this this behind the scenes story of Bud Stallworth? And I said, Well, I worked with Bud for six years on the air. And and you know, the, the point that the person made that I was telling the story to was that's the type of knowledge that only comes from being around and, and entrenched in it for a while. You couldn't just unplug at KU and plug in at Arizona state, for example, and and be the same ambassador and storyteller for that school and those programs, just jumping in two feet in. Now you can cram and study and do all that to try to, you know, have a baptism by fire in the sports history of another program, but to have grown up around it, to lived in it, to have, you know, cut my teeth and, and really you know, grown into the announcer I am today right here, it, it gives me a familiarity and a history and a I've been there. I've seen that type firsthand perspective that I think is necessary to be the best version of a school's voice. And so, you know, if if I ever switch paths and, and started to do something in the NFL or MLB and there have been chances to leave for the NBA, Uh, I'm sure I could catch up and and do a decent job of learning the history. But this has been my life for the better part of my 43 years. I love this place. This is where I always want to be. And, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that I've lived it and been paying attention and taking copious notes for probably 35 of those 43 years makes me well-suited to, to stay in it and, and try to be that storyteller that preserves the history and it reminds future generations that it's not just about the here and the now. This place is the winningest program of all time for a reason, and these guys on the wall behind me and, and some of these guys in front of me are the reasons why. And, and so that's why I'm really blessed to, to get to be here and grateful for every day I get to spend in this particular post. And hopefully, you know, whenever my time here is done, you know, I'll be able to say that I did as good a job as possible in preserving those stories and, and carrying on the, the uh, you know, the, the verbal, uh, you know, the historical storytelling, you know, to take on that tradition to the next generation is hopefully something I'll be able to say I did.
1: So you were 10, 10 years at KLWN, and then you went to Texas Tech at that point, I believe, is that is that what you said? Yep. Was that a difficult move? I I understand that professionally you probably thought that's what you needed to do to get to maybe a a different goal. Did you go to Texas Tech thinking you were going to be the voice of the Red Raiders forever or was that more of a a move for progression in your career to continue to hone your skill? And while you were there, um, you just said you grew up KU. How did you... How did you try to do the best job you could there, not having that background as a fan and and I you know, I'm curious about that, why yeah. you made that
0: transition, how it helped you in getting to where you are now? Well, the answer is kind of both. Um, I had a conversation with a guy who uh, is now a boss of mine in a different capacity even to this day, Jason Booker, when I was um, in my Late 20s, early 30s. I was, I was maybe 29 or 30 years old. And uh, he was the president and, and the, the GM of the Jayhawk Network at the time. And I was doing women's basketball along with Nate Bucati. And I was understudied to Bob Davis, filling in for him whenever there was a conflict. And in that era of Bob Davis fill-ins, I ended up doing about 15 KU men's games. And I'd shown enough ability and enough hustle and hunger that I guess they, they saw something in me. And Jason had said, listen, you know, if we had to choose today, you'd likely be my pick as the next voice of the Jayhawks, but we probably can't hire the backup. We probably can't, as Tom Bowman at Learfield likes to say, we can't win the press conference by saying we just hired the understudy. You're going to have to go somewhere else and be your own men's announcer and by the way that's not the least bit chauvinistic or you know favoring one gender or another it's just at the time think about this this is 15 years ago you know you, you need to be a, a football announcer a men's basketball announcer not just the guy that's doing baseball for 30 games a year women's basketball and a handful of men's games you need to go somewhere else and get your own primary you know men's gig and uh, this was equal parts exhilarating, exciting, so fulfilling to hear that, you know, potential prophecy for me, but at the same time, a little bit daunting because you don't just, you know, these jobs don't grow on trees. You just don't hear that say, okay, well, I'm, I'm gone tomorrow for the first job that, that I get offered because realistically only three or four play-by-play positions in D1 college athletics open each year. And who's to say you're a fit at them? I mean, there's a lot of geographics that go into it. I remember I was up for a job at Mississippi State. And, uh, and one of the decision makers told me, Hey, we really like your stuff. We think you're going to be a great play-by-play guy somewhere someday, but you don't sound like you're from Mississippi. (laughs) You don't have the Southern drawl. You wouldn't fit in down here in that regard. And, uh, a little bit of that had to go into me adjusting the life at Texas tech. Not that they spoke in the same Southern drawl, but you know, I, I didn't have the Texas tech graduation ring that everybody wears on their hand. I didn't drive a pickup truck or or wear boots, not that all guys down there do, but there were certain things that I I didn't inherently have as part of who I was as the ambassador that made it a little bit tougher to jump into that full-on ambassador role. But for me, tech was the perfect opportunity. And, And I turned down other opportunities before that that would not have been the perfect opportunity because they were on the coasts in smaller conferences. I would have been out of sight, out of mind, in terms of networking with the people back at KU. And and that was always the dream was coming back here as much for the fact that my family is from here as my love of the program and and this being my alma mater, I knew this was the place I wanted to be big picture. But when you take a job like that, like tech, which is a fantastic position that honestly, I mean, I I consider it right there with the Kansas job in terms of um, the attractiveness because they're going to the College World Series once every three years. They go to bowl games probably four years out of five, and recently with their basketball resurgence, you know they're right in the mix there too. I mean that's a tremendous job, and had I been called to stay there for twenty or thirty years, I was fully prepared to do so and would have been grateful to do so. So the answer to your question is both. Uh, I went down there with an open mind that I might be called to stay there, and if so, you entrench yourself in that culture and community, and you try to be the best ambassador for them you can be. The, the 30-year, long-time play-by-play voice of, of Tech Athletics, a couple of announcers before me was also a Kansas guy who relocated to West Texas and made his life down there. And so I was prepared to do the same in case that was God's plan. But obviously, I went after that job or any job after that conversation with Jason Booker with the ultimate dream in mind, the one day come back to KU. So the answer is both. But it was tough, you know, and, and you don't have the historical knowledge and background that I just talked so much about in the previous question. And so I really had to do a lot of cramming. I, I read Mike Leach's book first thing when I got the job to learn about the air raid offense that, that he'd helped build there at Texas Tech. And I started to do in the Lubbock radio market what I'd done in Lawrence, which was connect with and interview a lot of the former stars and greats and learn their oral history and stories that, that made them, you know, the legends that they were in tech folklore. I tried to just soak up anything I could from the announcers that were already working at that station that had lived it their whole careers, uh, in, in asking them all kinds of questions. And I prepped twice as hard every time I went on the air in West Texas, as I would back home, because you couldn't fall back on your natural knowledge and, and personal history. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, Take it till you make it. Ho- hopefully, I-, I sounded like somebody that you know did have a great knowledge base. And of course, when you're doing play-by-play, so much of the game announcing is about the here and the now and that current team. And I try to connect with those student athletes on a deeper level than I ever had before to really tell stories that were beyond the box score and beyond the stat sheet and that kind of thing. But you know, to be that total ambassador, you have to have the history as well. And gradually, I got there. And gradually you win over the fans because no matter who you are or where you come from, everybody's going to always miss the previous guy, no matter who the previous guy or gal was someone that they're used to, that they have familiarity with and a comfortable, uh, you know, listening ear for no matter how technically sound you are, how much, you know, or how great of a storyteller you prove to be right away. There's going to be an adjustment period And because I wasn't what they were used to. And uh, you know, wasn't, necessarily a tech guy it took a probably a full year to win some people over but i think hopefully the vast majority of the fan base saw that i was thrilled to be there grateful excited that i had my guns up as they like to say and even though i didn't have a degree on the wall from texas tech university i loved that place the student athletes and the coaches i worked with and uh, hopefully you know by the time i left there was appreciation for the four years i turned in but just a quick 30 second sidebar never would have gotten that job were it not for a man by the name of Mark Finkner, who was the previous men's basketball play-by-play voice and baseball voice. And we had bonded over a shared faith. And uh, we kind of live by, you know, similar ways of life and and uh, in, in the way we treat people and, and try to attack the platform we've been given and, and turn it back around for the greater good. And he had let me know before he was about to resign and he was stepping away to spend more time with family, which I totally respect. And he gave me the inside track on that job to get a head start in positioning myself and marketing myself for it because he thought it was the right time and it was the right fit for me. And he blessed me not with, here's the keys to the kingdom, but Hey, I'm going to vouch for you. I'm going to let you know before anybody else knows. And as, as fate or fortune would have it, 24 hours after he told me that, I was scheduled to be in Lubbock to do a women's game. And so I went around campus. I I went to the fan store and bought a Texas Tech T-shirt and a big foam finger. And I went around campus and took pictures of myself at all these key places on campus. I did a a mock play-by-play of their current men's team with my voice on it. So I wasn't just sending them whatever high school or women's basketball game I'd done the previous week that had non-local people on it and so the day he turned in his letter of resignation I turned in this very detailed very specific very Texas tech focused portfolio that had me already looking and sounding like I was in that role already and would not have had the chance to do that were it not for the heads up he gave me and obviously endorsed me as well so I'm eternally grateful for him that's another key person in my story that that God brought along at the right time and it all Happened because we we were you know two guys that uh, you know believe the same stuff and and believe treating the people the same way and we kind of bonded over that and that would be a lesson I I tell to your students that you never know who you're making an impression on when you shake hands with somebody or get a chance to get to know somebody you know for me every time I get behind a microphone I, I think about something Michael Jordan said. When he said every time he goes out on the floor, somebody might be seeing him play for the first time. So, of course, he would always give 110% every single time because somebody maybe sitting in the nosebleed section or maybe there in the front row was seeing him play for the first time. And for that person, he wanted to always bring it. I try to do the same in my broadcasts on the air because somebody might be tuning in for the first time. Well, the same is true in all of your interpersonal connections and relationships that you meet on a day-to-day basis, whether it was Chuck Knapp and and the students that came through Allen Fieldhouse that day that you talked about at the open or a fan I meet at a pep rally or whatever the case may be. You always want to be the most authentic version and, and positive version of yourself. And you'll meet people inevitably on a day when you're, too busy or you're having a bad day or maybe somebody just cut you off in traffic and the temptation might be to not be as gregarious or warm or friendly and to keep your head down and keep moving but I I try to in this ambassador role that I'm in you know embrace every opportunity to uh, represent Kansas as best I can because you're also representing yourself and you never know who you might cross paths with in that moment that could quite honestly change your life in the future based on a good interaction and exchange. And so the fact that Mark and I bonded over some stuff and and went to dinner a couple of times when he was up here or I was down there, ended up changing my life and put me on a trajectory that I'm forever grateful for. And it all started by just making a good first impression and connecting with someone beyond the typical, hey, how you doing? And then moving on. Uh, You never know what God's plan is for someone in your life and your path. And so, you know, to to truly invest in each person, not in a 30-minute sit-down kind of way, but in a genuine take an interest, ask them beyond the how's it going type question, because it can lead to a friendship or a work relationship or just an endorsement that forever changes your career or life. And, uh, And so that's something I believe very firmly. And I think if your students take anything away from the 45 or 60 minutes we spend together today, that might be the most immediate practical hands-on takeaway they could apply to their day-to-day lives that might start changing their lives as soon as tomorrow.
1: That's awesome advice and really, really good. Um, You you said so many things there that lead to other questions. You mentioned uh, Coach Mike Leach. Uh, I want to talk about your relationships with coaches, but before we get there, can you tell us because you also mentioned following a legend or you know who, whomever you follow, Bob Davis, I would consider a legend. Um, you followed him, so can you tell us about the process of of getting the job, the dream job, voice of the Jayhawks, how that happened, or what you can share? Obviously, a few years prior to that someone in upper management had said, hey, we think you'd be a good fit, but you still had a lot of competition, I would think, for a premier job like Voice of the Jayhawks. Tell us how you got there, and then can you talk about working with the coaches? You were familiar with some of them from your prior um, work here, and then even, I assume, your work at Texas Tech, but how did that all come together? And then I'd like to hear about your first day on the job.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Well, yeah, there was a ton of competition. And just because Jason Booker had told me six years prior uh, that, that I might be the ideal choice, honestly, that didn't mean anything at that point because he had left to take a job at the Kansas City Royals. Now he's back today as one of our three deputy athletics directors, but he wasn't back at the time. And so just because one person thought that wasn't going to help me because he was working on, uh, he was working at Kauffman stadium at the time, helping the Royals win world series. And I was trying to get back in at KU. And while I could use him as a reference, I didn't have that golden endorsement that, that I'd had, you know, six years prior. And so it was a long process. It was a nine month, very public process. Um, there was certainly a lot of networking. I tried to do from afar similar things that I sent KU uh, to showcase my skill set and how, entrenched in the Kansas culture that I was. I think the the coolest thing that I did that hopefully made some kind of difference, I was trying to win over Jason's replacement at the Jayhawk Network. And so I had a book made, like an actual hardbound book, the kind you can get at Walgreens or CVS or whatever, that was a pictorial history of all of my years connecting with the coaches and players of Kansas of all generations, telling their stories, the community work that I had done at that point for, I guess, seven or eight years as the director of the Rock Chuck Roundball Classic, something we've now done for 15 years, and uh, showed them all of this. But then my my brilliant idea, I thought, I don't know if they liked it or not, but you ever get one of those birthday cards where you open up the card and, and when the card opens, it starts playing music? There, there's, there's a little chip you can buy that's inserted in one of those cards And and I researched this company in China that sold these things and I, and I bought it. I put my six minute hype reel of all my play by play stuff on there. So where, when you open the book and started flipping through the pages of all of these, these great memories and moments that I'd had covering the Jayhawks over the years, you heard my play by play call as well. And what led off the call, was that dream on song that they play at the start of every KU game at Allen Fieldhouse, or at least they used to. And um, you know what song I'm talking about. I know you're singing in your head. If not, I suppose I could, but you might lose <laughs> your podcast falling really fast if I started singing. But you know the song I'm talking about. And so it's it's electrically charged and and it gets you fired up. And uh it's Aerosmith, right? Yes. And yes. Uh, you know, that, that Steven Tyler high-pitched dream on voice that I couldn't even try to emulate. It's pumping in the background, the play-by-play calls are hitting you hard and chops and you're thinking, okay, now, now this is exciting. And you're flipping through the pages and visually and, and stimulated through the year as well, you're seeing a guy that hopefully looks and sounds the part. And so I did stuff like that from afar. I had people calling on my behalf to the athletic director and the coaches and all that. In the same way that Bill Self had helped me get the Texas Tech job by calling on my behalf to the coaches at the time, which was Billy Gillespie. I had tech coaches now calling him. I had other people in the industry now calling him. And the best endorsement I ever got in terms of influence and impact was that of the guy that I think is the gold standard in all of sports casting, Kevin Harlan, who happens to be a Tom Hedrick pupil as well happens to be uh, a KU graduate. And, uh, you know, they offered him a job first, by the way, and he was making, I don't know how millions doing the games on, on, uh, CBS and, uh, gosh, he's so good on the NBA on TNT. He's, he's just the best I've ever heard. And while he would have, you know, loved to, to do some games at KU, the, the $60,000 salary or whatever, probably was going to be a bit of a step back. So he, uh, he knew the platform he was on, he's where he needed to be. And, uh and so uh, he, that was a pretty quick no when Jim Marcioni called him. No, thank you, probably, knowing how gracious Kevin is. But Kevin was going to endorse one guy. And I was just blown away when he told me in Durham, North Carolina, at the NCAA tournament where Tech was playing Butler, and he was there working the games on national TV, He told me that I'm only going to choose to back one guy and you're the guy that I'm going to make the call for because I've seen that it's so much more than broadcasting with you. I've seen the community work you do. I know you will handle that position and all of the influence that comes through it uh, in a way that will maximize the impact, not just on the air, but in the community. And when he told me that, when your hero tells you, you know, they believe in you, you as much for the person as the announcer that you are. I mean, I, I could not have been more blown away, floored, grateful, all that. Uh, and so it was in that moment that I thought, man, I could really get this. Because I, I'd done all the marketing and networking things you could possibly do prior to that. And I, I had tried to you know, put myself in a strong position, but in a job that's open and, and there's 300 applicants and there's a lot of really talented announcers going for it. Um, you, you never really know if it's going to be enough. And when you're living two states away, even though we play in the same conference and I see them a couple of times a year, I'm not boots on the ground in Lawrence getting a chance to see these people and interface on a daily basis. And so I don't know what they're thinking. And there was a one stretch in that nine month process where I didn't hear from them for about two and a half, three months. And and I was on edge. Um wondering am, am i still in this like they're not communicating it's kind of like for you single folks when when all of a sudden the x aren't coming back or the phone isn't ringing and you're like this person still like me and uh and it was just one of those processes where they they needed to take their time and do their due diligence and and eventually things ramped back up and uh but after kevin harlan told me he was going to call on my behalf i thought okay like this is going to be a, a big swing for me if if uh, he does indeed make that call and Sure enough, uh, you know that conversation was on a a Wednesday before a Thursday, Saturday NCAA regional sites. And Monday of the next week, before he went on to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, he made that call to Texas Tech. And I owe him a debt of gratitude for the rest of my life for doing that. And uh, again, in the same vein of what Ryan Lefebvre said that pumped me up in terms of paying it forward, uh, knowing the impact and influence that Kevin has had, not only in inspiring me, but in this case, directly helping me it it makes me want to do the same for for future announcers and i've had the chance to do that a little bit not quite on that scale but um you know to a certain degree so very grateful um very very blessed by that friendship and uh he continues to be a guy that that i i check in with um you know on on a regular basis as much for our connection with tom hedrick as anything but uh i'll always be grateful for what he did on that march monday when he made that call and and so when the guy that, that was you know the dream fit for that job um says no actually this is the guy that that is is the right time right fit right now for you um i i think at that point if Ku didn't already have me in the driver's seat i was i was in strong strong position it was still a process where you you come in and you interview with five different decision makers and there's five different people voting and they tally up the votes So it wasn't a slam dunk case by any means. And like I said, there were some very, very gifted announcers in that final group that I have the utmost respect for to this day. Uh, But hopefully between uh, the the endorsements that had come in to Coach Self and and Coach Beatty at the time, to Shane Zanger, the AD at the time, and then just the track record of uh, total ambassadorship, because it's about being so much more than an announcer. I genuinely believe that, and uh, hopefully, you know, I'm able to say that I do as much or more for my post as as anybody of my peers when it comes to the philanthropic side. Because I, I think that we're all blessed with a platform and a position of influence, and what you do with that determines uh in in many ways your legacy you know it's not just how good do you sound calling the games and did you give the score enough and did you have good highlights on the big moments but what did you do to connect with the fan base beyond that what did you do to preserve the stories of these athletes big picture Uh, what did you do to enrich the community in which you lived and inspire the next generation and that's the stuff that i think makes announcers remember yes our catchphrases and our signature calls and our uh, unique traits of our delivery stay with you. But the truly beloved announcers are the ones that that really entrenched themselves in the communities and and uh, and, and felt like that they were you know right there as friends to the the fellow fan and and uh, you know you're talking to the fan that's listening on their couch at home in a conversational way that makes them feel like you're just two buddies watching sports and they've met you at some point and genuinely believe you are off the air, who you represent yourself to be on the mic. And if you do that, I think those are the announcers that are remembered and, and beloved the most. And that's the one I, I aspire to be. And hopefully we're, we're on our way to being that. Right,
1: well, and gosh, we're already running out of time. I, there's so much to talk to you about. I wanna talk about some of your connection to the community um, because you had mentioned the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic you started in 2009 i believe maybe it was maybe that's dated, that's right but you've raised over a million dollars for local kids fighting cancer it's a huge event uh, certainly has become that why did you decide you wanted to do that
0: great question well as i've said several times i'm i'm a person of faith and and a big believer that your talents are god's gift to you what you do with them is your gift to god and i had kind of a I like to joke and say it was a quarter-life crisis as opposed to a midlife. When I was 25, 26 in in deciding, am I as a local sports director who has a three-hour daily radio show and reads the sports scores in the morning on your drive to work and does some high school play-by-play, am I making an impact for the community and the kingdom um, as much as I could in this post or am I called to do something bigger that has a more tangible effect in, in enriching and bettering the lives of folks around me? Because I wasn't feeling especially fulfilled at what I was doing. And I read a book called Roaring Lambs, which I've recommended to half a million people since. I've told the story so much and in so many places that hopefully we've sold a few copies of the book. But uh, it's written by a guy named Bob Breiner, who has since passed, but uh, brilliant wisdom in in one of his final books, when he said that God elevates people to positions of influence within the secular realm, not just in ministry full-time, to have as profound an impact in their lives for God and for for the communities they live in as those that are working full-time in ministry or philanthropy or whatever. The key is recognizing what is my position of influence What is my uh, what is my circle of contacts or or sphere of influence look like in terms of the people around me? And then how do I bear fruit from that? How do I how do I make good happen through the platform I've been given? And uh, I read that book at that key season of my life when I was doing some soul searching on where am I meant to be? What am I meant to be doing? Am I making a big enough difference? And it sounds morbid, but, um, you know, the, the way I looked at it, if I got hit by a truck tomorrow, how would I be remembered? And what did I really do to to leave this place better than I found it? Thankfully, I've not been hit by the truck yet. But I I found those answers in that book, or at least I found the the inspiration that maybe God planted me in broadcasting with all these contacts of coaches and players uh, and a fan base that listens on a daily basis on the radio. Maybe he planted me here for a very specific reason. And what can I do with these player contacts and and these, these famous Jayhawks? to do some good. And about that same time, there was a local youth pastor here in town that approached me, Who was, he was a daily listener to my show. And he said, you know, I can tell you've got a heart for other people just based on kind of the way you talk. Um, so I don't think I'm stepping out of turn by asking, would you feel called to help with some kind of fundraiser for my son-in-law who's battling cancer right now? and is in the fight of his life and the medical bills are mounting and all of this, what would you feel called to to do something, whether it's a -a radio-a-thon, which is a way of saying like a telethon only on on radio, or or some kind of call-in fundraiser to raise money. I said, you know, I don't know if that's the fit. We might be able to do something more event-based, like off the air that we promote on air, but let's do something that's bigger. Let's aim higher. And so we sat there at first watch over some scrambled eggs and an English muffin and hashed out the idea for the first Rock Shock Round Ball Classic. And the very first game came from meager beginnings, probably had 16 total athletes there, eight on each side, $5 tickets, $1 hot dogs. I can't remember how much we raised that year, but it wasn't much. Uh, But yet over the course of time, as God continued to bless the event and we got bigger and bigger and started flying in players and putting them up in hotels, we weren't just recruiting the ones that could drive in from Kansas City or Topeka, we were bringing in the heavy hitters that played in the NBA. And uh, the exciting news is that, you know, now 15 years and and $1.4 million raised later, um, we are. So excited to say that Joel Embiid wants to play next year. He saw this year's game and was like, man, how come I didn't get invited? And we were like, well, you were playing in the Eastern Conference Finals two days earlier. We didn't think you'd come. Uh, But it's grown to that point where we get back seven or eight NBA guys every year. And we get back 50 former players every year. And it's a three-day event now with the game, a gala, and a bowling event as well. And so uh, this past year, we raised over 300000 again and, and uh, just been immensely blessed. And we're able to to help kids year-round now, not just the, the five or six beneficiary kids in a given year, but we have a year-round benevolence fund that's going to be able to bless kids uh, each and every month during the KU season where they get to come to a Jayhawk game and sit with a former KU player at the game and get that Uh, Connected time uh, one on one with the star that you would get at the round ball classic. But then at the end of the night, they get a $5,000 check too, which is pretty cool. So, uh, super blessed by that. God continues to. Uh, Amaze me with the opportunities to to make real meaningful impact that he brings across my path, and I'm a big believer that if anybody asks me to do something philanthropically and it's a genuinely good cause, that it's not them asking; it's it's uh, it's God asking, and so you got to say yes. As long as I have breath in my lungs and uh, and the time to do it, you know, I will always say yes to stuff that I think is a worthy cause. And so, uh, people always ask, how many of these do you do? And I probably MC on average close to 90 events a year uh that are that are charity events and philanthropic events and uh and you know that that is you know certainly not regular but i'm single and and i'm you know hungry and and ambitious and i want to do it so long as i have you know the time to do it when when fatherhood and marriage comes eventually maybe i'll scale that back to 75 events but i think much like um you know, a a bodybuilder whose muscles atrophy, if he doesn't utilize them, if you don't use it, you lose it. And we've been given a platform we all have, we should make the most of it in the window that we have it. So that when we get done running the race of life, and we look back on the time we got and the impact we had a chance to make, we don't feel like we left opportunity on the table. We look back and say, you know what, that was a, a race well run and a life well lived, I maximized the chances I had. I don't want to live a life of complacency and wonder what if at the end. So hopefully, you know that that bears fruit on a daily basis. There's probably more I could do, but I try to say yes to everything. And I encourage the next generation to do that. Whether you're watching this today and you want to get into media or something completely different, read Roaring Lambs. Uh, think about the impact you could have in whatever career fields you choose to get into. Think about the legacy and the life you could lead, and and uh, and and live throughout your life. If you think not only what is it that's in this for me, but what can I do through this for others? Because I promise you, there is greater fulfillment, and there is uh, much bigger picture impact and legacy if you think about what could I do through my vocation that would not only leave this job and this career feel better than I found it, but but the community I live in, there's there's greater fulfillment in that than anything. And uh, there's a great President Roosevelt quote about, uh, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Um, it's not about doing these things for acclaim or attaboys or pats on the back. It's It's about looking back on it when it's done and seeing the life-changing impact that hopefully you've had a chance to play a small role in. And if you're doing that, I promise you, you're going to feel like you were planted in the right spot and you're bearing fruit and living right, right where you are. So the 26 year old version of me that was wondering, am I really making a difference? Is This really where I'm supposed to be. Turned out it was, I just needed to assess what can I do from where I'm at to make the most of this and how can I grow it and and build on it each and every year, one step higher, a little bit more impact and, and uh, you know, 17 years later, hopefully I'm still on that path and, and hopefully 17 years from now it, it, you know it will have magnified all the more. So that's that's kind of my life story on philanthropy and my outlook on it and hopefully somebody is um, inspired in hearing that because um, I, I really feel like that's what we're called to do no matter what our career field is. you're doing that on a day-to-day basis Chuck. You're doing that through this podcast and uh, so I, I hope that people hear that and, and there's some action steps and some real inspiration in hearing that too.
1: Oh, I'm certain there's a lot of inspiration in all of the words you've said. Uh, not only what you said, but what you've done. Your actions have spoken very loudly. And I know there are other things you do, even helping the Lawrence Humane Society um, with a little a project um, through baseball broadcasts. But uh, you mentioned your sphere of influence And I know you've impacted a lot of people and you've mentioned some of the people that have inspired you or impacted you. One of the the folks you work with regularly and you've mentioned him is his coach, uh, KU basketball coach, Hall of Famer Bill Self. Did you have an expectation of what that relationship would look like when you came to the job? Uh, And if so, have those expectations been met? Was it you know what is that relationship like and I don't want you to reveal you know personal things obviously you wouldn't anyway but he's he is a hall of famer he's won two NCAA championships um, but he seems like a great guy when you see him on tv you work with him what what's that relationship like and was it what you thought it would be
0: Yeah, you know, whenever we're on stage at at the various speaking events around the state on our Hawks and Highways tours or our preseason pep rallies and stuff, I always introduce him as a first ballot Hall of Fame coach, but also a Hall of Fame human being because I genuinely believe that he's so generous with his gifts. And uh, he's also someone who genuinely and I've seen this at, at every stage of knowing him tries to encourage inspire and and pump up the people around him whether it's an assistant coach a starting point guard or the kid that's refilling the gatorade cooler he takes the time to learn your name and something about you and make you feel valued and appreciated and you asked what was my expectation when i first met him i had read an article from his time at illinois about an exchange he'd had with the beat writer of the illini and a parent that was on their deathbed of this beat rider, And Coach Self took away from his busy schedule, took time away to drive to the hospital and meet with this beat rider's parents who was passing away to tell them what a great job they'd done with their son and that they should be very proud. And that uh, though they might not be here long to see every article written and every season covered, uh, that they should rest assured that he was doing great things and he was a tremendously raised human being and all that. And I thought, wow, what coach would do that? And so when he got hired, everybody sees this captain cool persona that he has that, that he can easily charm and win over any room he walks into, you see that. But hearing that story and reading about that made me realize there's, there's more depth to this man than, than than certainly what meets the eye and certainly what we're used to seeing with the typical coach. Now, Roy Williams had a lot of depth too. So we've been blessed with some really good ones here, but not everywhere is that the case. And uh, clearly he was, you know, set apart and, and and a cut above most. And I experienced it firsthand when I was 24 years old and I had, uh, Knowing him for a year at that point, he'd seen my work both on the air and in print because I was doing some writing at the time, too. And um, he called me to his office one day uh, to talk about some of the coverage I was doing for recruiting. But he'd also heard, unbeknownst to me, that I was going through a, a tough season in my personal life. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open book. I got married when I was super young at the age of 21. And Um, ended up not working out five years in and I was going through that, that season of divorce and not knowing what, what the next chapter was going to look like. And, um, he'd heard about that. And so we get done talking basketball and recruiting and he, he kind of leans across the table and, and he says, Hey, is this true? Are you going through this right now? And I said, yeah, it's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'll be all right. And I'm just kind of aw- oh shucks in it with my head down. It's it's going to be fine, you know. And, and then he he kind of leans forward and puts his, his hand on the desk in a way that made me look up. And he says, Haney, you're a stud. All the time, I got girls asking me to set them up with a quality guy. Well, Haney, you're my guy. And he said, you know, you're the character. You're the type of person with integrity and all that that is, is going to be just fine in this world and in this dating pool and all that. And by golly, if you need help, I'm going to be the one that sets you up with that great gal. Now, having said that 17 years later, he's never set me up with anybody. I'm, I'm still waiting on that, that, uh, you know, basketball, savvy, kind-hearted, beautiful blonde to walk through the door that Bill self sent my way. I'm kidding. He's um, waiting for the right perfor- the right person. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. He doesn't need to do that at all. Point <laughs> is, um, point is, he knew what I needed to hear in that moment, that it was all gonna be okay. And in the same way that he would pump up a guy before he gets set to take the, the game winning shot, or, or pump up a guy that's going through a shooting slump or whatever, um, you know, he gave me some motivation and some inspiration in that moment that he absolutely didn't have to do. He's, he's not somebody that's my employer at the time, or, you know, we weren't even really friends at that point. We, we'd had a, a working relationship for all of 12 months from afar, but he saw an opportunity to take 30 seconds to to leave me walking three inches taller than I came in with, with my chest puffed out and feeling pretty good about life. And that's something I've learned from him that I try to do for other people all the time, whether it's somebody in the hospital that I send a, a quick video message to, or just affirming people when you see goodness in them, or you see something that that deserves to be called out in a positive way i learned that from coach self you know the profound impact that can have in turning somebody's day around or their life around if you take the time to to spread an encouraging word so he did that for me at the at the you know mid 20s age that, that i did and um you know it it absolutely um, you know, changed the way I was feeling about that season of my life and gave me self-confidence, no pun intended, that, uh, you know, put me on a path to a much happier personal life and professional uh, life as well. Because in those few handful of words he he blessed me with, he pumped me up as a person and an announcer. And I walked out of there thinking, man, I'm going to have a really good rapport working with this coach and, and he cares about me beyond what I say or what I write. And you don't get that with everybody. And you know, 20 years deep in our friendship and relationship, he's found ways, countless ways to, to back that up and give me further proof of the type of Hall of Fame human being he is. Just yesterday, he writes a $10,000 check for the round ball classic and is calling me to, to ask me to make sure it goes to a particular kid that he really felt connected to. And, and I thought, man, this guy cares. This guy is real. It's not just what you see on TV. He walks the walk as well. And uh, I'm, I'm so blessed to have that great relationship with him. And for aspiring announcers, we won't get into it because I know we're out of time, but so much of not just your job security, but how good you are as the voice of a team or the announcer of, of any Uh, broadcast has to do with the trust that the head coach has in you, the rapport you have with your coaches and your players, that is your lifeblood and your lifeline to not only telling good stories, but to staying in that position. So let them know they can trust you. You're going to represent them in a positive way. You're going to look for the good in a story and not be overly critical. You're going to do your homework. You're going to be as well-read as anybody. And you're going to be that, that voice they can trust to convey the messaging they want about their program. You do that and earn that trust, you have a chance to stay in that position for the rest of your career. You burn that bridge, you could be gone tomorrow. And so the relationships you have with your coaches, your AD certainly, uh, and your student athletes are maybe as important as anything, maybe more so even than your listeners, because those are the ones that you're charged to tell the story with. There's some announcers out there that think they're the story. They think it's all about me and their larger than life personality. No, this is about the program, the tradition, the history, the guys that are pouring their blood, sweat, and tears into making it great. So long as you always remember that, put them first and earn their trust, you have a chance to, to be pretty good at this. And that's something that I try to remind myself of daily.
1: Brian Haney, Voice of the Jayhawks, thank you for being generous with your time. Thank you for all the work you're doing in the community. For folks who are interested in learning more about what Brian has done, including two books, go to brianhaney.com and uh, I believe you can order some books online and see some more of the great work you're doing in the community. Thank you again so much, Brian, for spending time with us, inspiring our students and expressing yourself
0: with Chuck. I brought my espresso. We never got to it, but thank you, Chuck. Always a pleasure, buddy. Appreciate everything you do to inspire future generations and uh, anything I could ever do. I'll always say yes. I promise you that. Rock Chuck. Music for Espresso Yourself with Chuck
1: is provided by Bensound Music at bensound.com. Thank you to our announcer, Kelly Newton, and producers Kim Ferdig and Don Neer.